0: Well, it is good to be in here in the CLC and to be with you all. Uh, There's something special here, just like there is in our sanctuary. Even as we're worshiping now, uh, there's 100, 125-plus folk who are lifting up the name of the Lord. The music is different. The setting is different. But we're worshiping the same God. And it's great that we can do that. In, in two different venues. And today, there are third graders in the traditional service that are being presented Bibles, and so we pray for them today. Well, his name was Mike. Mike was a good friend, and we were in high school together, and it happened that we were at a musical event. It was a, a religious event. It was a, it was a Christian event, a, a music festival called Igthus. Maybe you've heard of it. And I was in the crowd in Ichthus, and there were strong speakers. It's a lot like Passion up in the Atlanta area. And, and, and there were strong bands, inspirational speakers, and out of the crowd, one who I would have never, never suspected to be there was Mike. And when we made eye contact, when he saw me and I saw him, he came running toward me, and he goes, Stephan, Stefan, I'm a Christian now. I've given my life to Jesus. Now, you got to know Mike. Mike was one of those guys that you could say he wasted his high school years because he was wasted during most of them. And we would have conversations. We were friends. And we had a math class together. And I remember he had a, a joint rolled up, stuck in his tube sock. Anybody remember those? <laughs> and he'd say, you know, Stephen, you're religious. I, I don't really need that. I, I, I really don't want that. But I'm glad it works for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come and move us away from just being in routine in our religiosity. And Lord, seat us firmly in your grace and let our our response to you be an outflow of that grace and mercy in our lives and so take root in us and if there's someone here today lord that needs to take that step of faith to cross that line we ask that you will use this entire service to set the stage for that as we trust in you. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, we've been in a series entitled Five Lies, and I've enjoyed this, and you've responded well to this series. Five Lies, we've taken a look at Those things that confront us, that deception, and and here are some of those deceptive one-liners. I'm the only one struggling, and we decided that, no, there are folks all around you who've moved through some of the things you've moved through and their support, and in Christ, you're not alone. The wounded healer comes alongside of us. And and then we looked at, I can't change, and we decided that uh, we would use that oxymoron Uh, Yes, you can't. (laughs) Yes, you can't change. In other words, the yes part of that phrase is our initial openness. But by ourselves, we cannot change. Naturally, we cannot change, and we need something supernatural to work in our lives. And that would be the Lord Jesus Christ and his presence through the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about, and John brought you a message on the lie, I am a failure. And we decided that just because you may have failed does not mean you're a failure. I love that song that Ashley and the praise team uh, brought us today. It says, I don't have time for regrets. I love that. I don't have time for regrets. I'm going to worship and allow God to continue to renew me. And so I'm going to walk in faithfulness. Maybe success isn't the higher value, but faithfulness and God will bring the success. But today I want us to look at that lie. I don't need religion. Why is it that we find that we live in a day that is very ambivalent, very apathetic towards issues of faith or religion? Well, I've got some notions, and uh, you've got your message notes. I invite you to follow along with me. One may be the unbeliever, the unchurched person may feel as though they're unimpressed by a judgmental spirit. They feel as though the church has has uh, proceeded forward and, and has been very negative, and the church is telling us more about what we're doing wrong than what we're doing right, and they and they've they've told us a lot of. Bad news, and they've not accentuated the good news. And some of that may be true. Maybe the message we've put out there is turn or burn. (laughs) These one-liners. Get right or get left. you got to think about that a minute. And so maybe we've not packaged it in a lot of—you just got it, thank (laughs) you—a lot of grace— a lot of grace. You know, it's, it's, it's easier if we put the good news out there first. I mean, that's really what the gospel is. It's good news, bad news, good news. The good news is that God created us in His image, and He said it was very good. The bad news is we are marred, and we have failed, but the good news is that Christ can redeem us. And so putting that good news up there first, maybe we need to do more of that. But, you know, it's hard not to offend when you challenge somebody related to uh, certain attitudes or, or behaviors that are uh, dehumanizing to others and destructive to themselves. And so there's that, that balance. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's part of the problem. Or, or maybe another part of the problem could be that they do not observe any difference in our lives. They've bought into the lie. I don't need religion because they they don't see anything distinctive about us. They say you look at your life and you look at my life and there's not a whole lot that's uh, different. I mean, what are what are those one-liners? You know, you, you meet somebody from Atlanta, you ask them where do you work. You ask somebody who's from Savannah, well, they get the ask they, they get the question asked. What do you drink? And you ask somebody from Macon, and the question is, where do you go to church? Somebody told me there's 415 churches in Bibb County. And so maybe there's this problem, a cultural problem, in that it's so much a part of who we are, we've become inoculated, that we can't make a difference. or at least we're not looking like we do. And so people say, well, you know, you go to church, I go to church, but is there a huge difference? So maybe they don't see a distinctiveness in us. I always did like that question related to um, if they were gathering up Christians and they were putting them on trial for being guilty of living out their faith, would there be enough evidence in my life to convict me? That's kind of scary when you think about it. Will there be enough proof to show guilt that I have walked with Christ, that my life has been radically changed? And so maybe they don't see a distinctive lifestyle in me, or, or maybe it's a lack of, of passion. You know, there's, there's something in all of us related to a spiritual hunger. There is that God-shaped void in all of us, and I think in every person there is a longing to be in relationship with a Creator, or some divine something. But I wonder if we too have become the frozen chosen, if we too are in slumber, sleeping in our faith, we've become apathetic. We've become ambivalent. We've talked about the unreligious person becoming ambivalent towards the faith. Maybe we have, and we've we've lost some passion. Since I've been in Macon, I've been courted by a couple of civic organizations, community community organizations, and and I got to tell you, I'm pretty impressed. And there's there's two organizations that are vying for my membership. I love it. And, and they call me, and they offer to pick me up, members do, and take me to the meeting, and my lunch is taken care of. And and they invite me to be a part of the organization, and they tell me what they're doing in the community. Now, these are civic organizations, and these people are pumped. And I'm thinking, do we do that in the church? Are we that enthusiastic that we'll call people, that we'll pick them up and bring them, that we'll feed them, that we'll invite them to be a part of a community of faith? We used to call it evangelism. And so maybe, maybe those who have become ambivalent ha- ha- have struggled with our lack of enthusiasm, lack of passion, because uh, s- some of religiosity has to do with passion. People will step into a religion if there's something worth stepping into. But otherwise, they ask the question, what's the point? So I invite you to look at your message notes because we're going to confront this focus fallacy, I don't need religion. And the truth that confronts that lie is this, well, when it comes to religion, you've got one. In fact, that was the message that Paul communicated in Athens, Greece, as he stood at Mars Hill. And in this sermon, I'm giving you a glimpse of the sermon that Paul preaches as Luke records it. Smokey read it for men of Athens. I see that you are religious. You're very religious, for I have walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, and I have found an altar inscribing this, get this, to an unknown God. And he says, the one that is unknown, I want to share with you, I want to reveal to you today, is the Lord Jesus Christ, and His presence isn't in a graven image, His presence Isn't necessarily within the confines of a building. His presence abides in your life. It takes up residence in you. And so when it comes to the lie, I don't need religion, it's confronted with, we're all religious. And Paul says that very well. Eloquently, he says, I I see that you're very religious. And I think if he saw us today, he would say the same thing. For the times really haven't changed. Now, they may have had graven images, and I've seen graven images in Athens, Georgia. There are bulldogs everywhere. I've gone to Medellin, haven't I? But but we all have idols. And our culture has said that our sexuality, a gift from God ought to be an idol to worship. And so, we have a, a culture that is, sec, that is saturated with sexuality, a beautiful thing that God gave us, but it's been high and lifted and put on an altar. Or our materialism and our consumerism. I'm reminded of the missionary that went to an African area, and they had graven images. They they had idols, and he was able to share the good news of the gospel related to Jesus Christ. And people were converted and they were transformed. And one of the things he said is, You've got to, we've got to remove these idols. We need to put them away. We've got to take them down. And they complied. And it was a beautiful thing. And the village was converted. And so he invited them to, during furlough, missionaries take furloughs. During furlough, come with me. And so he took. One or two of the leaders of that Christian church in the village. And he said, I want to show you around. And he went into the missionary's apartment that was kept up while he was gone and saw all of the beautiful things. And the missionary drove him around. And some church folks that sponsored the missionary drove him around in, in a really nice luxury vehicle and took him out at a fancy restaurant. And And as they were heading back to the apartment, the three of them were riding back, and one of them said, you know, you were so good to us because you told us the truth, and the truth was that we needed to get rid of our idols. But as I look around, I see that you have idols. You have these huge screens, and you scream into them the names of those athletes that you honor." and and you take us where there's food still left on the plate when some outside the village on the fringe of the village don't have enough to eat and you wear such nice clothing is your extravagance an idol you see we all have idols we've we've even made other person's idols. Maybe you have a spouse and and, and, and early on in your marriage, you, you you idolized them, and now, 25 years later, you see that they're a regular person. But, but oh, when, when they fell off the altar, it was a horrible thing. And, and, and oftentimes, what happens in marriage is there's this idolatry that you're going to meet all my needs. You're going to fill that void in my life. You're going to satisfy every need that I have. You're going to fulfill me. And they fail us. And sometimes marriages fail because of the disappointment in idolatry. And so Paul helps us here. He says, Look, we're all religious, let's be honest. But let me tell you about the unknown God that I can reveal to you that came in such a different way to redeem the entire world and gave his life for you. You see, Jesus did not come to establish a new religion. There were plenty of those. Jesus came to establish a new way of life. John ten ten. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Do you see that? The wonderful thing about Christ entering our lives, the wonderful thing about us being followers, not just religious, no, followers of Jesus Christ, is that we have quantity of life and quality of life. That you might have life more abundantly and this new life brings a couple of things. One is, it brings a revelation that is greater than reason. You see, religion is simply a human being's attempt to reach up to God. In a wonderful way, in a wonderful way, Paul's saying this unknown God has revealed himself by coming in human form, dwelling in our midst, having skin on him. Entering into our suffering, entering into our joy. This isn't some cognition or mental development of of beliefs and regulations. In fact, the Old Testament, the Old Testament, one of its purposes is to show us how men and women followed after God sometimes failed, but were overcomers. But part of the role of the Old Testament is this, it's the law, it's religion, and it points us to the need for something greater. We'll never fulfill the law to the nth degree. We're always going to come up short, and we needed someone greater, someone to fulfill the law, someone that could write the law Upon our hearts. We needed a spirit to direct us. And so, God, in his sanctified imagination, said, You may reach up to me, but I'm coming to you. Because love had to go the distance. And so, he revealed his presence. And that has come for us in a personal relationship, a relationship that is personal. This new way of life, it sounds trite, but it's true. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And, And so, we talk about religion as being rituals and rules and regulations. But the wonderful thing for us an intimate relationship with God, and my behavior and my attitude is the fruit of my desire to be pleasing unto the Lord. It's more than religiosity. It's a relationship. And then, the message is relative and relevant, a relevant message that offers hope. Hope. You see, what Paul was struggling with was he saw that these idols were a dead end. He saw that they could never actually fulfill what this human craving needed. And he said, I've got one who cannot be contained by structures built with human hands. I have one that will enter your life and bring joy and bring satisfaction. One of the things that we want to do here at Martha Bowman is create an environment where people hear messages of hope. And we believe that the message in being a follower of Jesus Christ, well, what better hope is there? A God who redeems, a God who transforms, a God who really brings change. You know, deep down inside I really believe we hear a lot of people say, you know, I don't need religion. I don't necessarily need to change. That's bogus. I really believe in all of us. We see our human frailty. We see our fallenness. We see our mistakes. And there's something longing inside of us that wants to be better. And the call of Christ is one of change and transformation. And then finally, I really believe that we have... A faith that is radical and has a radical passion that can change the world. Vineyard Church was started by a fellow by the name of Jim Wimber. And Jim joined a church, a typical maybe mainline church. And when he gave his life to Christ, he was changed radically. And he said, okay now, when do I get busy? And they said, what do you mean? And he said, Well, well in this, the part where I actually get my hands dirty and I, I step into the messy stuff and I help people and, and, and I share the gospel in profound and meaningful ways that's life changing for when are we going to start that? And he said, Well, you just stepped into the church. And he said, I'm ready. It moved him so much that he started a movement called Vendor Church where he felt like he could engage in passionate ministry. One of the things in this way of life that Jesus talks about is there is a radical discipleship. Jesus said some radical things. He said, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. That's pretty radical. He said, leave behind family and friends and follow me and you see i really believe that people want a cause they can get behind people really want something in their lives where they can engage in it and it makes a difference and so this new way of life is not a new religion it's it's a lifestyle And Paul says, it's such a lifestyle that we'll be called peculiar people. And people will look upon our lives in strange ways. But as long as the conversation continues about religion, we may not get very far. Kind of like the young fella that entered the office of Tony Campolo and uh, and he sat in front of Tony and he was a student where Tony was a professor. And, and he said, you know, I just came today to tell you, I don't believe in God. And Tony was good. He was very gracious. He said, well, tell me about that. Thank you for your honesty. He said, well, I, I just, I have a hard time believing in a God that would just judge people and send them to hell. And Tony said, you know, I have a hard time believing in a God like that, too. And he said, I I have a hard time believing that God would allow people to suffer, to live in agony. And Tony Campolo said, you know, I have a hard time believing in a God like that. And he said... Let me share with you about Christ and how Christ came to offer redemption for a lost world. God came to give us a second chance. God came to enter into the sufferings of humanity. God came and became broken so that we would be made whole. And by the end of the conversation that young man said, I want a God like that. I want a God like that. Wouldn't it be great if we were able to move away from the ambivalence and apathy in conversations regarding religion and people would say, you know, take it or leave it? No, they would say, I've got to have that. I have got to have that." And that's what Mike said to me. He breaks through the crowd, I'm stunned. He says, Stephen, I'm a Christian now, I've given my life to Jesus, and I, he said, can you believe it? And, on the, and I was cool. On the inside, I was like, you've got to be kidding. But on the outside, I was like, man, that's awesome. And he said, I remember when you had it and you still got it. And I realized I had to have it. Today, I want to invite you as our praise team comes forward. We're going to pray. And it may be that there's somebody in your life, you've had conversations related to religion, and you want God to help you to be gracious with them and to season it with with love, but you're longing for them to want it. Maybe in your own life you've decided, you know what, this is the time. I, I want that. i got to have that. A saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The altar is open. As so we pray together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time we've had together, a time to worship while a whole nother service is going on. You've been present here. You've been present over there. And God, I thank you that you have called us to a whole new lifestyle, a whole new way of living, not to rules, not to regulations, not to a regimen of playing church, but a radically transforming call to a relationship with you. And I ask that that relationship truly would be one that would bring change so that others would see Jesus in us. And want him. This is our prayer. In the name of Christ. Amen.